Anyone who has enjoyed the finer installments of Saturday Night Live over the years will certainly appreciate the savagery of the Anglo-Irish satirist Jonathan Swift, Dean of St. Patrick's Cathedral in Dublin. Born in 1667 and died in 1745, Dean Swift was the author of such works as The Tale of the Tub and Gulliver's Travels. He was born in England but schooled in Ireland at Trinity College, where scholastic training emphasized religion and debate, taking either side of an argument and putting forth proofs. Such skill allowed his needle-nosed humor to prick the balloons of hypocrisy floating about him throughout his life. In 1729, he chose the Irish Parliament as his target and put forth a solution to the outrageous poverty and hunger experienced by the Irish population due to the merciless oppression of their British overlords. Swift's work in the form of a political pamphlet to be distributed is not for the faint of heart and still holds its power and its relevance almost 300 years later. Dublin, 1729. A modest proposal for preventing the children of poor people in Ireland from being a burden on their parents or country and making them beneficial to the public. It is a melancholy object for those who walk through this great town or travel in the country when they see the streets, the roads, and cabin doors crowded with beggars of the female sex, followed by three, four, or six children, all in rags and importuning every passenger for alms. These mothers instead of being able to work for their honest livelihood, are forced to employ all their time in strolling to beg sustenance for their helpless infants, who, as they grow up, either turn thieves for want of work or leave their dear native country to fight for the pretender in Spain or to sell themselves in the Barbados. I think it is agreed by all parties that this prodigious number of children in the arms, on the backs, or at the heels of their mothers, and frequently of their fathers, is, in the present deplorable state of the kingdom, a very great additional grievance. And therefore, whoever could find out a cheap and easy method of making these children sound and useful members of the commonwealth might well deserve to have his statue set up as a preserver of the nation. <laughs> but my intention is far from providing only for the children of professed beggars— it is of a much greater extent, and shall take in the whole number of infants who are born of parents, in effect as little able to support them as those who demand our charity in the streets. As to my part, having turned my thoughts for many years upon this important subject, and weighed the schemes of others, I have always found them grossly mistaken in their computation. 
It is true. A child just dropped from its dam may be supported by her milk for one solar year with little other nourishment. And it is exactly at one year old that I propose to provide for them in such a manner as, instead of being a charge upon their parents and the parish, shall contribute to the feeding and clothing of many thousands. There is another great advantage to my scheme, that it will prevent those voluntary abortions, women murdering their bastard children, alas, too frequent among us. The number of souls in this kingdom being usually reckoned one million and a half, of these I calculate that there may be about two hundred thousand couples whose wives are breeders, from which number I subtract thirty thousand couples who are able to maintain their own children, although I apprehend there cannot be so many under the present stresses of the kingdom, but this being granted, there will remain an hundred and seventy thousand breeders. I again subtract fifty thousand for those women who miscarry or whose children die by accident or disease within the year. There remain and hundred and twenty thousand poor children annually born. The question then is, how shall this number be provided for? This is utterly impossible by all methods hitherto proposed. We can neither employ them in handicraft nor agriculture. We neither build houses, I mean in the country, nor cultivate land. They can seldom pick up a livelihood by stealing till they arrive at six years old. I am assured by our merchants that a boy or a girl before twelve years old is no saleable commodity. And even when they come to this age, they will not yield above three pounds on the exchange, which cannot turn profit either to the parents or the kingdom. I shall therefore humbly propose my own thoughts, which I trust will not be liable to the least objection. I have been assured by a very knowing American that a young, healthy child, well-nursed, is at a year old a most delicious, nourishing, and wholesome food, whether stewed, roasted, baked, or boiled, and I have no doubt that it would equally serve in a fricassee or a ragout. I do therefore humbly offer it for public consideration that of the 120,000 children, 20,000 be reserved for breed, whereof only one-fourth part to be males, which is more than we allow for sheep, cattle, or swine. The remaining 100,000 may then, at a year old, be offered in sale to persons of quality, always advising the mother to let them suck plentifully in the last month so as to render them plump for a good table. A child would make two dishes at an entertainment for friends, and when the family dines alone, the fore or hind quarter will make a reasonable dish, seasoned with a little pepper or salt, and will be very good boiled on the fourth day, especially in winter. I have reckoned a child just born will weigh twelve pounds, and in a solar year increase to twenty-eight pounds.' 
I grant this food will be somewhat dear, though therefore very proper for landlords, who, as they've already devoured most of the parents, seem to have the best entitled to the children. Infants' flesh will be in season throughout the year, but more plentiful in March and a little before and after, for fish being a prolific diet, there are more children born in Roman Catholic countries about nine months after Lent. The market, more glutted than usual because of the number of popish infants, will have the collateral advantage of lessening the number of papists among us. I have computed the charge of nursing a beggar child to be two shillings per annum, though I believe no gentleman would repine to give ten shillings for the carcass of a good fat child. Thus the squire will learn to be a good landlord, growing popular among his tenants, and the mother will have eight shillings profit and be fit for work till she produces another child. Those who are more thrifty, as I must confess these times require, may flee the carcass, the skin of which, well dressed, will make admirable gloves for ladies and summer boots for gentlemen. In our city of Dublin, shops may be appointed for this purpose, and butchers, we may be assured, will not be wanting, though I rather recommend buying the children alive and dressing them hot from the knife as we do roasting pigs." Now, some persons of a despondent spirit are in great concern about the vast number of our poor people who are aged, diseased, or maimed. But I am not in the least pain upon that matter. It is well known that they are every day dying by cold, famine, and vermin as fast as can be reasonably expected, and our young laborers are now in almost as hopeful a condition. They cannot get work, and consequently pine away from want of nourishment to such a degree that if at any time they are accidentally hired, they have not the strength to perform it. Thus both the country and themselves are happily delivered to any evils to come, but I digress. The advantages to the proposal which I have made are obvious and many, as well as of the highest importance. For firstly, it would greatly lessen the number of papists with whom we are yearly overrun, being the principal breeders of the nation. Secondly, the poorer tenants would have something valuable of their own, which by law may be made liable to pay their landlord's rent, eh? their corn and cattle being already seized, and money a thing unknown. Thirdly, whereas the maintenance of a hundred thousand children cannot be computed at less than ten shillings apiece per annum, the nation's stock will be increased fifty thousand pounds, beside the profit of a new dish, introduced to the tables of all gentlemen who have any refinement in taste." Also, the money will circulate among ourselves, the goods being entirely of our own growth and manufacture. Fourthly, the breeders will be rid of the charge of maintaining their children after the first year. Fifthly, this will be a great inducement to marriage and will increase the tenderness of mothers toward their children. We should soon see an honest competition which of them could bring the fattest child to market? 
Men would become as fond of their wives during their pregnancy as they are now of their mares in foal, nor offer to beat them for fear of a miscarriage. I can think of no objection that could possibly be raised against this proposal, unless that the number of people will be much lessened in the kingdom. This I freely own, and was indeed a principal design in offering it. You will, however, observe that I calculate my remedy for this one individual kingdom of Ireland, and for no other that ever was, is, or I think ever can be. Therefore, let no man talk to me of other expedients, of taxing our absentees at five shillings a pound, of using neither clothes nor furniture except of our own growth and manufacture, of rejecting the materials that promote foreign luxury, curing the expense of pride, vanity, and gaming in our women, of introducing a vein of parsimony, prudence, and temperance, of learning to love our own country wherein we differ even from Laplanders and the inhabitants of Tapanambu, of quitting our animosities and factions, of being cautious not to sell our country and consciences for nothing, of teaching landlords to have one degree of mercy toward their tenants, lastly, of putting a spirit of honesty, industry, and skill into our shopkeepers who, if a resolution were now taken to buy only our native goods, would immediately unite to cheat us in the price and quality. Let no man talk to me of these and the like expedients till he hath at least some glimpse of hope that there will ever be some sincere attempt to put them into practice. But as for myself... Having been wearied for many years with offering idle, visionary thoughts and at length despairing of success, I fortunately fell upon this proposal which, although wholly new, hath something solid and real, of no expense and little trouble, in our own power and thus incur no danger in disobliging England. For this commodity will not bear exportation, flesh being of too tender a consistency to admit a long continuance in salt. Though perhaps I could name a country which would be glad to eat up our whole nation without it, I am not so violently bent upon my own opinion as to reject any offer proposed which shall be equally innocent, cheap, and effective— but before something be advanced in contradiction to my scheme, I desire the authors will be pleased to consider how, as things now stand, they will be able to find food and raiment for a hundred thousand useless mouths and backs. I desire those politicians who dislike my overture that they should first ask the parents of these mortals— whether they would not think it a great happiness to have been sold for food at a year old in the manner I prescribe, and thereby have avoided such perpetual scene of misfortune as they have since gone through by the oppression of landlords, the impossibility of paying rent without money or trade, the want of common sustenance, with neither house nor clothes to cover them from the inclemency of weather, 
and the most inevitable prospect of settling the like or greater miseries upon their kind forever. I profess in sincerity that I have not the least personal interest in endeavouring to promote this necessary work, having no other motive than the public good of my country by advancing trade, providing for infants, relieving the poor, and giving some pleasure to the rich. I have no children by which I can propose to get a single penny, the youngest being nine years old and my wife passed childbearing. We hope you enjoyed A Modest Proposal by Dean Jonathan Swift. For more of our work, please go to ParsonsKnows.org, where we would be most delighted if you would also make a contribution. It's rough sailing for small theater groups, and any donation is greatly appreciated. I'm Lance Davis. Good evening.